You know, as we work through this uh, last letter of uh, Paul, we call it Second Timothy. As we work through this, um, some portions of the letter you can cover longer content and get through. This particular message today is uh, fairly short. Six, seven, and eight, uh, three verses from the fourth chapter. So I invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to kind of open it and then go right. <clears throat> go toward the back of the Bible, and you'll come to Second Timothy and the fourth chapter. This particular letter <clears throat> of Paul, uh, while he's in prison in Rome, um, has a lot of kind of mountain peak verses, just memorable verses, verses that are important for us to remember, memorize and be good. And this particular passage has at least one, maybe a couple more. <clears throat> so 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, follow along with me or <clears throat> read it as it's projected. Paul says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Uh, three fairly succinct verses that come to us today, and I kind of put this under the title, Finishing Well, Finishing Well. We're all in this journey. Um, some will live <clears throat> length of days, a good long life, some may not make it as long as others. And I don't want you to become paranoid about worrying, how long am I going to have, you know? Because uh, we don't know. You, there are people that, are, that seem to be in perfectly good health that go home and the next day don't wake up. And that may be, be depressing. I, I don't want you to get all bummed out on that. On that. <clears throat> but those are the realities. We just deal with that. It, it, you know, if someone passes away and you're and you're shocked, you thought, man, they're in the prime prime of their life, you know, and either by whatever unusual natural cause or accident occurs or whatever it may be, the end of the journey has come, and we are aware that the scriptures say we don't know how long we've got. I mean, you can go to the Psalms and it says, you know, three score and ten. And you think, well, maybe we'll have about 70 years. I'm on the other side of that 70 years. Just so you know uh, that, that I, I'm living on borrowed time, I guess, from one sense. But yet we have no guarantee. The scriptures tell us that our life is like a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It appears for a little while and then we don't know. So I guess the important thing for us is to make sure that we're living well now. Uh, 
And that's all, that's all we've got. All we've got is now. <clears throat> so uh, the question, and really just one question for us today. Now, when a preacher says there's only one question, he doesn't really mean it. But, but, but a primary question for us today would be simply this. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? You will be remembered one way or another by those whose lives you have impacted or touched. And there may be something about you. For a number of years, <clears throat> um, when I turned 50, uh, the church I was serving in New Cumberland at that point, uh, point we had a senior adult ministry uh, went on, and uh, they decided they wanted to celebrate with me this this milestone, and they wheeled in in a in a in a little wagon, fifty pounds of M and M's. Fifty pounds of M and M's. I just want you to know that I eat. I didn't eat them all. I, I I but I was well stocked, so that when the kids would come to church, they'd come into my office, and I had M and M's in abundance. And they would come in and say, "How are you today, Pastor?" And, and it's kind of it's kind of deal, you know. Uh, so it was just it was fun. It would just became a good thing, and I could always connect with people from that side. So my email address to this day is cwd charles william davis m n m m n m at gmail now. So anyway, that, that's just information. So, but I I hope I'm not remembered as the guy who loves M&Ms. I, I do like them, but I hope that's not all of my life. You know, it's just one thing, one thing. So how, how will you be remembered? Uh, and I guess as, the, as, as you move on in those years, you begin to think a little bit more seriously about that. You know, just what do you want to leave behind? That kind of thing. So here, what I'd like to do before we get into the content, just kind of let me walk through a couple of stories. Yesterday was the unofficial start of the Big Ten football season. And it, it, you may have been filled with a bunch of other things you were doing, and that's fine. <clears throat> but uh, Penn State played Indiana, and next week they'll play Ohio State. They may have been looking a little bit too far ahead to Ohio State because in the last-ditch effort, Indiana, for the first time in a gazillion years, beat them on the last second or last ditch play in overtime and all that all that kind of thing. I want to I want to go back a little bit farther. <clears throat> I want to go back to uh, a Fiesta Bowl that was at that point in time in 2003 being played for a national championship. The two teams were Ohio State and uh, Miami. Miami had had this uh, 34 game win streak which spanned several seasons and uh, so they it was a formidable uh, meeting together. Jim Tressel was the coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, or the Ohio State Buckeyes, as some would, would go. Uh, and uh, before he went out to the field, after he had done his initial uh, team talk and assessment, going over the game plan, he asked one question. And here was the question. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Ask that of his team. Didn't get the answer. I mean, it was a rhetorical question, you know, how, how do you want to be remembered? But apparently that question was serious enough uh, and, and gave them pause. 
And it worked because when the game was over, the Buckeyes had pulled off one of the uh, significant upsets in, in history, uh, in football anyways, and they defeated the, the Hurricanes in double overtime, uh, whatever the score was, I think it was 31-24. How do you want to be remembered? So how, how do you want to be remembered? If you go with me for a moment, uh, think to a, another era, another time. Um, you've been by, we drove by several cemeteries on the way up. I, I don't know, are, are, is there anybody that likes to go through cemeteries? I know it's at Halloween, it's popular, but anyway, it's interesting from time to time to go through a cemetery um, and read headstones or tombstones, depending on what, what word you like to use. The story is told of a graveyard, graveyard in a country, in a country near the, the site of a southern uh, plantation. And uh, two men coming through the area got out and walked, walked through around the grounds, and they came across this old cemetery with gravestones. <clears throat> and most of those gravestones were well into 150 years old. So, you know, in course of time, it doesn't always go real well to read them. But they were able to be discerning, you know, comments that were made. So one would say, loving father. Another would say, beloved mother. Another would say, this is my darling son. Language that we don't use, you know, so much today. Rest in peace. Asleep in Jesus was one. Eventually, they came to the grave of the man who owned that plantation, and uh, under uh, his name was his date of birth and date of death and the dash. We've talked about the dash before in terms of the dash poem. But anyway, and his death. And, and there, there were five words that were used to sum up this man's whole life. And these were the words, a man of unquestioned integrity. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting tombstone, headstone word, five words, nothing more, nothing less, just a man of unquestioned integrity. So, envision for a moment, what will be the words on your headstone? And I don't want you to get morbid, and I don't want you to go out and try to come up with some snazzy slogan you want to put on. Uh, one guy said, he put put on his headstone. I told you I was sick. I think I told you that before, but I, I wouldn't put it on. Don't put that. Don't put that's not a good. That's not a good lasting five words, uh, you know, uh, along the way. But so I guess in, in all of that, it gives us pause to think about for a moment how will we be remembered? And I don't think it's something that you work at to consciously say, well, I sure hope people remember me as the, as the pastor who loved M&Ms. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't do that. It, it's, you're just going to be remembered because of the day-by-day -day quality, characteristic, lifestyle that you choose to live and what is important and who is important to you. Um, it, it just, it just, it, you're just going to have to live your life and allow others to kind of assess that from that side. So I said there was one question. Really, there are several questions. So let's look at some of the questions. First question is this. What kind of departure will you have? 
<clears throat> what kind of departure will you have? Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, the first of verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. We, I think I mentioned this last week. Maybe I did. I think I did. Um, about uh, some friends of ours whose son lives in the Harrisburg area who was traveling home with his wife and two children, and they were hit in an accident uh, by a gal that was driving her vehicle. She was drunk, uh, driving her vehicle at over excess of 100 miles an hour. The cars were just obliterated. It went through a wall, went through a whole bunch. Amazingly, everyone lived. How, how that happens, you know, you, we don't know. Testament to car construction, all that kind of stuff. But the point is that they they would they didn't know that that could have been a departure point for them. You don't, they're fortunate; they're still able to live on and keep on moving along and keep on making an impact in their world, regardless of how that all settles out from that side. Paul uses two phrases here that I want to look at for a moment in terms of what kind of departure I have. He says, first of all, my life is being poured out like a drink offering, like a drink offering. When Paul talks about that, he's referencing back to an Old Testament ritual or practice that he had when they would make their animal sacrifices. <clears throat> the law indicated or mandated that when a worshiper brought an offering, part of it was consumed upon the altar and part of it was given to the priest for his own use. And when the offering was consumed by fire, the worshiper would sometimes pour a drink offering, usually of wine, uh, on the burning sacrifice. And, and when that happened, that, that wine was all to be poured out, and none of that was given to the priest, as the wine hit those burning coals, it evaporated and you had this sweet smell that arose from that altar. And in the New Testament, you find that that symbol of wine was a symbol of joy. And so the drink offering was another way of saying, I gladly give all that I have to the Lord. The sacrifice that I offer is given as a symbol of my whole heart, wholehearted commitment to him. And, and what nothing is being held back. That's all that I have, and I gladly give it to God. Paul, that's the image. When Paul says, my life is being poured out like a drink offering, he's saying, I'm, I'm giving it all. And we talk about it. We, we, we these phrases. We say, are you all in, is a way what some people put it. Are you all in? Are you in? And, and so it's, when Paul says, my life's being poured out as a drink offering, he's saying, uh, it's all in for me. Uh, I gladly give that to God. How will that departure look? I'm all in. I'll give that to God. And then he uses the phrase, uh, which is another word picture, my departure. He said, the time has come for my departure. I don't know if Paul was able to read the handwriting on the wall that this appeal to Caesar that he had made in the process to try to be get a, a fair shake in terms of the, the charges that were against him, whether it was going to turn out bad, I don't. I, he may have sensed that. He may have thought, uh, my chances are between slim and none of getting out of this deal. 
but it was something that God had prompted him to do, and so he made that choice, and, and that's fine. You don't know what the outcome it is, but he says, the time for my departure has come. We don't know how much longer Paul lived beyond that, but the word picture that he used is an interesting one. It's, it's really got three parts to it. The, the first refers to a ship hoisting the anchor, raising the sails, and leaving the harbor, setting out for a distant port. It also can refer to an army that has had an encampment near a battlefield. And to depart for them meant they're going to leave the battlefield and they're going to head home. It's also a picture of a man who's carrying a burden upon his shoulders. And now the call comes and he says, friends, I want you to lay your burden down. It's time to come home. And Paul just kind of puts all of those pieces together and says for him, death was like setting sail, heading for a new destination. It was breaking camp and heading home. It was laying down his burden in order to finally go home to be with the Lord. And so the question here is what kind of departure will you have? We're all going to get to depart sometime or another. What will it be for you? A home going. We, we often use that phrase, don't we? We say, well, he went home to be with the Lord. The great home going. And, and, and that's, a, that's a biblical concept uh, absent from the body to be present with the Lord. It just that's the, the departure is that destination. So, how will we live our life? Will it be all in life poured out like a drink offering, and will it be heading in the right direction, heading home? When uh, there was always, I don't know, maybe for many people. There's always something nostalgic about going home. You, know, you remember we grew up, and you remember how things were, and hopefully it was a positive situation. If it wasn't, then I, I'm sorry that image may not work well for you. But the point is that we're, we're coming up to Thanksgiving. And for us, uh, Thanksgiving this year for us is the time when we get as much of our families together as can, and uh, we celebrate Christmas because we have to share in life, you know, we have the in-laws or the outlaws or whatever they are, that they get them at the other side. So next year we'll celebrate Christmas at Christmas, but this year we get to celebrate Christmas at Thanksgiving. And we're anxious for the kids to come home. Now, for, for one of the kids, it's not a big deal. They live next door. So they just make their way across the grass where the path is beaten, and they just find their way here. For the other two uh, in Pittsburgh, they'll make their way home, although it's going to be different for them, too, because because now our oldest, our son, is, uh, his children are all grown and out of the nest. One is married. They're all living independently elsewhere. And so we may not even get them at all. It used to be we could get them all in. So you pack 22 people in, in a house and a half, and it's, it's close quarters. And I don't know if I have to wear a mask for that or not. Depends who you listen to, Fauci or Trump. But but anyway, but the point is that there'll be something you have to do. But but it's always home coming home. It's always good. It's good good stuff. Maybe maybe Dylan will be home for Christmas. You know you know maybe maybe whatever it may be. There's this coming home kind of thing. And, and so Paul says, my departure is coming up. 
my life's being poured out like a drink offering. My departure is coming. I'm getting ready to head home. What kind of departure will you have? The second question comes in this way. What kind of legacy will you leave? What kind of departure will you have? What kind of legacy will you leave? And here's the memorable verse of these three, where Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Um, in a generation past, there was a fellow by the name of Billy Sunday. It may not mean anything to most people here. But if, if you have any familiarity with, familiarity with Christianity, and, and you can go back to stories of people, uh, uh, profiles of people in the past, Billy Sunday would be one who popped up. Billy Sunday was born, oh, let's see. He lived to about 70-something or other, if I recall, into the 30s, so he probably was born in the mid-1800s. So go back, let's say 1860, probably about the time of the Civil War, I guess, when it all worked out. Um, but uh, he was a famous athlete. He played early on in, when the, in the founding of what was then to be, soon to become the National League of Baseball, and so he was a famous baseball player. He was an outfielder for one of the National League teams, whatever they're going. But that was not all that defined him, because at some point along the way in the journey, he met Christ as his personal Savior, and it made a big change for him. It resulted in him moving from leaving behind that professional athlete stuff and the baseball career and becoming an evangelist. And he became a very famous evangelist for much of his life. Uh, <clears throat> he was, it, some people may have described him as America's greatest evangelist. I don't know how that compares with Billy Graham, but at this point in time, preaching face-to-face -face that's been documented to nearly over 100 million people. This is before television or whatever. So that guy got around and draw large crowds as well. He personally shook hands with over one million people who made the profession of faith and what they would describe then as they walked the sawdust trail. Okay, so this is really history of sorts, where people would come on that, uh, make the walk down the aisle to receive Christ, the persons that come forward, whatever the language you would use, and the sawdust was part of the part of the setting you know the picture of camp meeting picture of rustic picture of sawdust on the wasn't there to keep the horses clean they just whatever and so people would walk that sawdust trail his conversion from a ball player to a preacher is quite inspiring you can you can google that you can find biographies of billy sunday but the interesting thing is he has a tombstone as well and engraved on his tombstone is this very verse. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That was the legacy he left behind. In this particular picture, what legacy will you leave? He uses three phrases. 
I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Let's take a look at each of them for just a minute. It's a picture of a disciplined life. Second Corinthians chapter 6, uh, not, not too far away, has uh, this description of what that life could look like. At least for Paul, it was this way. When you read in verses 4 and 5, he says, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. 2 Corinthians 6, 4. In great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Now, that sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? No, but that just was a part of his journey along the way. And it, and it was, it seemed like everywhere Paul went, he resulted in a riot or a revival, uh, depending on how you look at the outcome thing. But it was, a, it was a disciplined life. And in light of that disciplined life, he says, I have fought the good fight. For us, that life of discipline means we got to keep on fighting. Now, I'm not talking about like political, like you're, you're going to be in the face of somebody else because they disagree with you. I mean, I'm not, not talking about that knockdown, drag out stuff. I'm talking about just keeping on, just pushing further, just going a little bit more. I read an interesting story about a professor at a Christian college and his son who decided to go on a thousand mile backpack trip from British Columbia to Southern California. Now, you, you saw Chile, you know, that string bean country along the southern part of, of uh, you know, that, that's a huge piece of territory. Only this wide, but it's really long. And uh, so they go on this thousand mile back. That's the plant. So the father and son hiked through the mountains of Washington, Oregon, and California. For many days, they were alone on the trail, and they often camped above 10,000 feet. So bring your oxygen, you know, just get used to the climate, uh, the altitude. They faced all kinds of discouragement along the way. There was a lack of food or water. There was danger from wild animals. There was danger, danger from people that, that can get on those trails and lay harm. And always check before you go on the Appalachian Trail that you make sure that you have everything that you need. And that may involve packing something. But, but that's, that's another issue. So the, all these kinds of things that you, know, you deal with, exhaustion, mud, all that stuff. Possibility of physical injury, blisters, mosquitoes, extremes of heat and cold, all that kind of stuff. But before they ever left to go on that trip, this professor discovered that 90% of the people who ever set out, when they set out to track, track over 500 miles or more, never make it. 50% never get started. 40% quit when they start. 10%, only 10%, ever finish a long-distance hike. And after studying the 10% who succeeded, he came to a certain conclusion. Some of it involved strenuous training and logistics and preparation for all that kind of thing, but there was something else involved. He discovered that those who succeeded versus those who failed understood that the biggest block was mental, wasn't physical. They knew the real enemy wasn't outside them, it was inside them. And those who succeeded made two very important decisions. First, they decided they'd finish the trip no matter what. And the second is 
they expected bad things to happen along the way. They weren't surprised or they weren't dismayed. So when the rains turned the trail into a quagmire, they didn't quit because they weren't surprised. They knew that was going to happen. When the black clouds of mosquito descended like plagues of locusts from Egypt, they didn't dissuade them because they knew it was going to happen. They didn't quit because they were lonely or hunger. The successful backpackers adopted a mindset to keep on fighting, if you will, to use Paul's phrase. You take a step and you hit the mud. Take another step and you see a bear. Take another step, your legs start to cramp. Take another step, whatever happens. But you aren't surprised. You aren't surprised when the crazy people come out. Sooner or later, they will show up. You keep putting one foot in front of another because you want to keep on fighting. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. It's a picture of a determined spirit, a determination, a disciplined life. It's also a picture of a directional life. And uh, he says, uh, I have finished the race. So the question here in the race is, who is setting the course? Who is setting your course? When you're in a race, um, it's a predetermined kind of thing. It's, nowadays, you know, it's nice, you know, you have this special track, you know, that that's easier on the feet, and you got special shoes that make it easier to run. You get faster traction, and and you, it's nice. Now, if Paul was talking about running a marathon or something like that. It can be all over the place, and it can be through all kinds of circumstances over which you don't have control. But someone sets the course for that. One lap around in terms of a sprint, longer, longer, longer in terms of the marathon. It's a picture of a directional life. I'm going in a particular way. I'm not running all over the place. I'm running in a particular thing. I have a finish and end line in mind. I see that. That's where I'm going. I'm, I'm focused on that point. So the question there is, who's setting your course? And then the purpose in that whole thing is never stop running. There are people who start a lot of things. Do you have, do you have a garage or a basement full of stuff that you started? I mean, most of us do. You know, it's a bunch, you know, it's unfinished projects. You know, we get started, but sometimes we don't always finish them. Here, Paul is saying, uh, uh, keep on running. Keep on keeping on. When Paul was preaching, or not preaching, was teaching, writing to one particular group of people, the church at Galatia, he said, you started out really good, but something hindered you. What hindered you? What got in the way that kept you from keeping on in this direction life, this course. Never stop running. If you live long enough, and in the church kind of setting, you will find people that start out well, and then they get distracted or lost along the way, or they lose heart or interest, and so you never see them again. Rarely do you find them returning again. It's possible, and by God's grace, maybe they're just running in a different 
place, a different setting than than, they are, than what you may have known them from. But the point is simply that you got to keep on moving, keep on running. It's not intended, this Christian life, to be just kind of, okay, yeah, the flash in the pan, and then you forget about it from there on out. It's a direction life. Keep on running. And it's also one more picture of a doctrinal life. He says, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. It's, it, it's not about where you go. Uh, I was reading one of the quotes of Billy, uh, Billy Sunday. He said, he said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. That was one of his quotes. Okay. And, and so, so maybe, maybe you come to church and you think, well, if I go to church, maybe that's what makes me Christian. No. Maybe your heart is closer. Maybe it's in a spot where God can capture your attention and you can understand the truth of God. But the point is that it's more than just kind of being at some place physically. It's, it's this whole relationship is what you believe. And so because it's a picture of a doctrinal life, I have kept the faith. Never stop believing. There's always more for us to attain and understand, but we keep on. You never know what you're going to learn the next opportunity you have as you gather together. So that's a part of this whole process. What kind of legacy will you leave? Will you be determined to fight the good fight and keep on fighting? Will you be in the race and running that and finish the course and will you keep the faith in terms of what you will choose to believe? One final question. And with this one, it's, I'm gonna, it's gonna pop up a little bit differently because it doesn't, it's just some words that I wanna pick on. And, and it's, it's a wonderful verse in verse eight. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day and not to me, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And I'm just going to pick up a few of those words because this question talks about what kind of reward are you going to receive. So we've talked about a, a variety of things. You know, what you know, what what are the questions you want to you want to you know, what are you going to be remembered for? What you, what's, what's your journey all about? Here we're going to talk about reward. Now, I, sometimes sometimes people buy into Christianity because they see the benefit of it, the reward. You know, they're, okay, I'm, who wouldn't want to go to heaven? It's a better place than what we deal with here on this earth. And so you say, oh, I want, I want that because I get the future benefit. Well, it's more than just the future benefit. That's something that will come in terms of reward. That's, that's going to happen, but there's more to it than just what I'm going to get in this deal, what's in it for me. What kind of reward are you going to receive? Look at the one that he lays out for us here in that eighth verse. He says, now there is in store for me. And I, I would use the word guaranteed. There, he, God has got something in store for you and for me. It's guaranteed. This is, this is, this is a God thing. He's going, he's, 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 he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He started something. He isn't going to quit along the way. He's going to keep on. And sometimes, sometimes he has to work very hard to keep after some of us. 
I was going to say some of you, but I put myself in the whole thing. But the point is, sometimes it, we make it more difficult for him. But it's a guarantee that he gives to us. There is in store for me the crown of righteousness. And I would use the word glorious there. The crown of righteousness. Um, if, if you're old enough, you can remember butter commercials that had a crown, a queen, you know, da da da, -da and you know, the particular butter brand that was being peddled at that point. There was this crown, you know, you just use this special butter. You know, when you get one of those kinds of things, you know, go back to Queen for a day. Talk about old commercial. Well, my mind is really going really back old. And some of you are saying, yeah, that was just like yesterday. Yeah, so, so, anyway, but, you know, you, you, you did, whoever the guy was that did that, and some of you can remember it, I can't, but the point is that you, you just, you know, all this good stuff happened. But they put a crown on the person. You go to beauty pageant, Miss America, Miss Universe. They put a crown on the gal. Uh, it, but that's, that's an earthly crown. This one is the crown of righteousness. I think we get that crown when we understand that who our righteousness really is. It's not me. It, it, First Corinthians 1 says, For of him are you in Christ Jesus who is made unto wisdom and righteousness and justification and redemption. Righteousness. It's the crown of righteousness that he gives to us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me. And that's personal. God doesn't send somebody else to give you what you are earned, what you are guaranteed of, what you are going to receive in terms of this glorious reward. He's going to do it personally. Doesn't send somebody else. Doesn't send a surrogate. He says, the Lord is going to award me. On that day, that's a future picture. You may not always get the reward that you want today. There are some things where you'd, you'd like to get the present stuff. But here, this is a future reward. This is something that is promised to us on that day. And not to me only, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. And that word is simply shared. It's not just for me. It's for us. It's for followers of Christ who choose to believe him, who choose to walk in this holy band together to the presence of Christ in terms of that eventual place that he has for us. So the question comes back again. How, how are you going to be remembered? Let me give you two stories. One of them comes from a, a professor at Dallas Seminary. His name is Howard Hendricks. He's retired now long ago. But he did a study of men and women in the Bible. And he concluded that there were approximately 100 detailed, fairly detailed biographies in the Bible. And he notes that approximately two-thirds of those men and women ended poorly. They ended poorly. Either they turned to immorality or they drifted away from the faith and ended up in some kind of side-slidden or back-slidden condition. But the Apostle Paul was not among them. He finished well. He finished well. Once uh, when John Wesley was asked to explain the spiritual strengths of the early Methodists, he said, 
He says, our people die well. Our people die well. They know what they live for, and they choose to follow that all the way through. But in order to die well, you have to finish well. And it doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose. It happens by living a life that's disciplined and directional and doctrinal. So in light of that, we never stop fighting. In light of that, we never stop believing. In light of that, when you start that race with Christ, you knew that somewhere out there was a finish line, and you keep on believing. Don't lose sight of that reality. I've lived long enough and walked with people in the journey that I know that there are friends of mine who didn't finish well. I can, I can go to a classmate of mine from college and seminary who had served as a pastor but made some poor, poor choices and got involved with things that were pornographic and it resulted in him losing his ordination and license because of those choices and things that followed from that. And I was a good friend. I know there are people. Um, recently, a um, fellow by the name of Ravi Zacharias passed away. There's still an ongoing investigation on some of the stuff that he might have been involved in. And I'm not here to detract from the power of that ministry and service. I'm just saying you've got to be so careful in our day in terms of fighting and believing and choosing to be accountable so that you don't end up not finishing the race well. So today... Um, how will we live? How will we finish? What will be the story that will be told of us? This is this particular message is, for me has been a sobering one. I, I don't know how you get around it when you stop to think about it. Um, in the journey that we are on, how will I be remembered? How, how what is the legacy that you will leave? It, not so much that you know you're going to leave a pile of money to somebody, but just will they, how will they be remembered? And you'll be remembered by the way you lived. You you can't. Most people don't write their own obituary. You know you don't get to do that. It's just something somebody else does for you. I mean you can craft it up in advance, but you know <laughs> it may not be accurate. So let others determine what that will be, but you determine that you will choose to finish well the race that God has set before us, before you and before me. We're coming down the home stretch in this Second Timothy letter, and there's probably another week or two at best. Uh, and we're going to run into some people who, in the way they live, did not really help the process. And we'll get to them and some of the things that they did. So uh, 
purpose in your heart to finish the race that God has given to you, to me. Let's pause for prayer. I suppose it's good for us, Father, periodically to step back a bit and look at where we're going, where I've been, where I'm headed, how I've lived. And I ask, Father, that you would help us to embrace the truth of these three verses. Help us to understand that we are in a race. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. This is not a picnic that we are called to. And we need to finish that race. We need to keep that faith. So by your grace today, may we live well. May we finish well. We'll trust you for what you will do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.